you so much. How many of you brought your Bible with you tonight? Hold up, hold up the Bible. And if you will, join me once again in the Old Testament tonight, the book of Psalms, chapter 119, page number uh, 660, if you have an old Schofield Bible. And, of course, we're right now in a long series of sermons uh, regarding the Word of God. And what greater chapter uh, than Psalms 119, which deals with the Word of God. And I want to read some verses here, more or less, uh, use this uh, once again as a springboard to jump into our words for this evening. Psalms 119. I've told you before, this whole chapter deals with the Word of God. There are only three verses out of 176 of these verses. Only three of them doesn't mention the Word of God. And so this whole chapter is about the Word. Look at Psalms 119, verse 97. Notice this verse. Oh, how I love thy law. Now, of course, the law is just another word for the Word of God. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. Thou, through thy commandments, another word for the Bible, hast made me wiser than mine enemies, for they are ever with me. I have a more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients, because I keep thy precepts. I have refrained my feet from every evil way, that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from thy judgments, for thou hast taught me. How sweet are thy words unto my taste, yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Well, how true is that? Verse 104, Through thy precepts I get understanding, therefore I hate every false way. Now, once again, we're told some things to do with our Bible in these verses. First of all, we're told to love the Bible. Look at verse 97. Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. The psalmist said, I love it so much, I just think about it all, all the day long. We ought to love the Bible. Number two, we ought to learn the Bible. Look at verse 98. Through thy commandments, uh, thou through thy commandments has made me wiser. Think about that. You know, getting in the Bible will make you wise. I, it's, it's unbelievable. I didn't pay attention in school much when I was growing up. I just didn't have a desire. Uh, you know, I did. Uh, it wasn't school. It was just the principle of the thing. <laughs> You'll get it later. But anyway, uh, I didn't like school. But I tell you, when I got saved and started reading my Bible, I find out there's a lot of questions I can answer on Jeopardy just because I've read the Bible before. And you notice that? Uh, the Bible said, verse 98, the psalmist said, Through thy commandments, thou through thy commandments has made me wiser. It's made me wiser than those who jeer me. Look at verse 98. Thou has made me wiser than mine enemies. They're ever, they, he said, they're ever with me. But I'm wiser to them. Why? I'll tell you why. You know the Bible. There, it makes us wiser than our jeers. It makes us wiser than our peers. Look at verse 99. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for thy testimonies are my meditation, my peers. What about verse number 100? It's made me wiser than the years. Look at verse 100. I, underst I understand more than the ancients because I keep thy precepts. I tell you, we ought to love the Bible. We ought to learn the Bible. But then look at verse 101. Uh, we ought to live the Bible. 
Verse 101 says, I have refrained my feet from every evil way that I might keep thy word. I have not departed from my judgments, for thou hast taught me. We ought to love the Bible. We ought to live the Bible. But we ought to learn the Bible. And that's what we're talking about in these Wednesday night uh, uh, services over these last several months. We've been talking about just words from the Bible. You know, we've been using our English alphabet. And by the way, I understand uh, in Psalms 119, if you'll read about this, the background of this chapter, that you'll notice it's broken up in seven or eight verses. It's broken up in several sections, just seven or eight verses. And I'm told that there is, there is a section in Psalms 119 for every letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And we've been using our English alphabet to work through some of the great words of the Bible. You know, several months ago now, we started with the letter A. And we went through the Bible and we picked out several great words from our Bible that begin with the letter A. And last time, if you'll think back, what, two or three weeks ago, we were on the letter O. And we talked about some of the great words of the Bible that begin with the letter O. For instance, the word omnipotent. Does anybody remember what that one means? Omnipotent omnipotent. What's that mean? God is what? All, all powerful. Omnipotent. Then we talked about the word obedient. Boy, that's a good Bible word. Be obedient. Then we talked about the word ordinance. And then we talked about the word offering. And now tonight, we're all the way down through the 16th letter of our English alphabet. We're to the letter P, the letter P. Now, of course, if you go through the Bible, you'll find out we have a number of books in our Bible that begin with the letter P. For instance, the book that I read from tonight, the book of Psalms, the longest book in our Bible. The next book over, we have the book of Proverbs, the great book of wisdom in the Bible. So we have Psalms and Proverbs in the Old Testament. Those are books of our Bible that begin with the letter P. Then when we cross over into the New Testament, we find that we have four more books in our Bible that begin with the letter P. There's the book of Philippians, there's the book of Philemon. And then we have two books in our Bible named after old, the old cussing preacher, first and second, first and second Peter. Then we have some prominent people in our Bible whose name begins with the letter P. We read about a man in our Old Testament by the name of Potiphar. You remember him, Potiphar? He had a wife. Boy, she was a home-wrecking hussy, wasn't she? Yeah, she tried to seduce Joseph. Now, she's married to Potiphar, and here she is trying to seduce Joseph and to get him to lie with her, and she's married to another man, old Potiphar. Potiphar, he was the overseer of Joseph. He bought him out of slavery, Potiphar. And then we read about another man in our Old Testament by the name of Pharaoh, Pharaoh, uh, the man that wouldn't let God's people go. Pharaoh, like Brother Tim, he won't let God's people go. Pharaoh. But anyway, uh, Pharaoh. And then we read about, this is one of the not-so-famous people, but I love the story of this man. His name was Fura, and that's with a P. It sounds like a, an F, but it's with a P. Fura. Have you ever read about old Fura in the Bible? It's only got two or three verses about him, and it's back in the story of Gideon. Remember God told Gideon to go up against the Midianites, and he was way outnumbered, outgunned, outmanned, and Gideon was afraid to go, and God said, Gideon, if you're afraid to go and fight them Midianites, take Fura with you. Evidently, Fura was a man of great, great faith and fearless man and a man of great encouragement. He said, hey, just take Fura with you and go, go with him. He'll go with you. Y'all go, go. Boy, what a story behind old Fura. 
We read also in the Old Testament about a boy by the name of Phineas. He was one of the sons of Eli. And then over the New Testament, we got a lot of people over the New Testament, men whose name begins with the letter P. First of all, I mentioned a moment ago, what about old Peter, a disciple of the Lord Jesus, a great preacher and a pioneer. Then there's Pilate. Pilate played a, played a pivotal role in putting to death the Son of God. There's old Philip in the Bible. Philip in the New Testament, he was a deacon. And he went down to Samaria. Remember, he was preaching down there in a great revival meeting. And God called him out of there and sent him in a desert so he might witness to one old Ethiopian eunuch. Isn't that amazing? And the old eunuch got saved by the grace of God. Then, of course, we got Paul in the New Testament. 14, if you count the book of Hebrews, 14 of our 27 New Testament books. What about a man in our New Testament by the name of Philemon who loved the Lord so much he had started a church in his own house. And then not to leave the ladies out, we have a couple of very prominent ladies in our Bible whose name begins with the letter P. First of all, there's one in the Old Testament called Peninnah. You say who? You say pen who? Peninnah. She was the wife of Elkanah. I'm going to leave that there and you'll find out on Sunday. She was no good. Over the New Testament, we have a woman by the name of Priscilla. Now, not Hersham and Priscilla, but we got one over in our New Testament. His, her husband's name was Aquila, and his wife's name was Priscilla. What a great couple they were, an encouragement to the Apostle Paul. And then also, let's see, we have a, a lady in our New Testament whose name was Phoebe. Phoebe. I like what the Bible said about Phoebe. I commend unto you Phoebe, our sister, which is a servant of the church, which is at Crencia. Now, let me tell you something. This was a great lady in our Bible, even though we really don't know a whole lot about her. But Paul just simply said she's a servant in the church. Boy, thank God for the servants in the church. A great lady. And then we have groups of people in our Bible. For example, we have the Perizzites and the Philistines and the Pharisees and the publicans, all groups of people in our Bible. Then we have some good places in our Bible whose name begins with the letter P. There's a place in the book of Genesis called Pandanaram. You ever read about old Pandanaram? That's where Jacob met the Lord. Oh, what a great place that must have been. Then there's Philistia. That's the home of the Philistines. Then there's Philippi, the very first place, the very first place on the European continent that the gospel was preached, Philippi. And then we have an island in our New Testament called the Island of Patmos. Somebody tell me what happened on the island of Patmos. Anybody? That's where John got the book of the Revelation, on the Isle of Patmos. Then there was a good church in our Bible called Philadelphia. Over in Revelation chapter 3, the, the Philadelphia, the church of revival, uh, the Philadelphian church, a good church there. You know what I found out? That most of the words in our Bible that begin with the letter P are either the names of people or places. But never fear... I found enough words to string together for a message. Now, I'm doing something different tonight. You know, usually I've just been going through the Bible and picking out words, but tonight I decided I was going to do something with the letter P a little bit different. So what I've done is I went through the Bible and I picked out some significant events in our Bible that are known by one word, and every one of those words begin with the letter P. All right? 
So what I want to do tonight is I just want to talk about three or four places in our Bible where something significant happened. God thought it was so important that he put a word on it. And then he said this, don't forget it. All right? Let's start with the first one. What about this word right here? Passover. What in the world is a Passover? Well, you may remember in our Old Testament that the word or the word Passover occurs 72 times in both the Old and the New Testament. The first time we run into the word is back in the Old Testament book of Exodus. We remember as a, as a matter of Bible history that Joseph was sold into slavery in the land of Egypt. And then through an amazing turn of events, God brought a prisoner and made him vice president in the land of Egypt. Remember all that? How that God turned that thing around. And the first thing you know, that Joseph is second in command in the land of Egypt. And boy, did God use him to save a world that was on the brink of total devastation in the days of a great famine, but God used Joseph to save the entire world. While Joseph was down in Egypt, he started stockpiling the corn and, and the wheat and the barley, which saved off starvation in the time of the seven years of mighty famine that gripped the world. And it was all under the, the direction and the jurisdiction of Joseph. Joseph's family lived back in the land of Canaan. You know the story. They came down there to buy corn. And the second time they came, Joseph revealed himself unto those very brothers that had sold him into slavery and went back and told their daddy some old cock and bull story about how an evil beast had to buy. Remember that story in the Old Testament? Well, Joseph then sends for all of his family in the land of Canaan to come in the time of famine, to come down to the land of Egypt, and he's going to take care of them there. And all the family, including Joseph, when they got down the land of Egypt, there were 70 people in the nation of Israel. 70 people in the whole nation of Israel. Well, when they got down into Egypt, we know the story how they began to multiply. And that Pharaoh that knew Joseph and loved Joseph eventually died, and they got him a new Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. Now, I got to tell you something. What's wrong with America is we got a president that knows not Jesus. And I'm not saying that critically. I'm saying we better pray for him. We don't want anything to happen to him because under God, we don't want her. Can I have an amen? Now, if you disagree with me, you don't ever have to come back here again. And we love you. But we better pray because what's happening in America is there is a generation that knows not Jesus. Well, when that Pharaoh came to power that knew not Joseph and what Joseph had done in the history of saving all starvation, how he saved the nation. By the way, America is today what it is because of Jesus. But there's a new generation that has risen up, unfortunately known as the millennials. They know not Jesus. They, they don't understand what he's done for our nation. We are strong. We are the nation that we have been, not because of our, our assets, our armaments, our allies. We are the nation that we, all, uh, that we are or have been because of our almighty God. And there's a new generation that's risen up that knows not Joseph, knows not Jesus. And when that happened, boy, he began to persecute the nation of Israel. And, of course, the more he persecuted them, 
The more they grew, the more they expanded. Until finally he decided, this nation's going to rise up and overtake us. Man, we got to do something about it. So he put them in bondage. Remember that? And they went into Egyptian bondage. And for 400 years, they were slaves in harsh bondage in the land of Egypt. The whole time, God's people were crying out, Oh, God, do something. God, deliver us from this bondage until God heard and sent them a deliverer in the person of Moses. Moses went down there and walked into Pharaoh and said, Hey, God said, let my people go. And Pharaoh hardened his heart. Remember the story? Until God stepped into that situation. And through a series of devastating plagues, God brought the empire of Egypt to its knees. He brought it to a place of total devastation. Their economy was gone. Their, 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 their nation was gone. Their livestock was dead. Their crops were ruined. There were fro frogs piled up everywhere. They were itching to death because of lice, and they were slapping flies. And, and I'm telling you, it was terrible what it had. God brought the empire of Egypt to its its knees. But Pharaoh still hardened his heart and refused to let God's people go until God said, I'm going to do one final thing. Remember the story? And that was what we call the plague of the death of the firstborn. So everybody in the land of Egypt, everybody in that land who had a firstborn child or was a firstborn child was going to die in the plague of death. But God made a distinction for his people. God made a distinction. He told his people, here's what we're going to do when death begins to pass over. By the way, don't be mad at me here, but I've read Exodus 12, 11, 12, 13. I've never read about a death angel. I know we call it the death angel, but really it's just death. And God said when death begins to pass through the land of Egypt, when he sees a house that has the blood applied, he will pass over that house. Now, the firstborn will be safe if the blood has been applied to the door lentils of the home. You know what God was telling us in the death of the firstborn? He rejects our first birth. Our first birth got us into trouble, friend. Our first birth, birth got us in the family of Adam, and the Bible said it as in Adam all died, got us in trouble. Thank God for the second birth. Thank God for the new birth. That first birth got us in trouble. The second birth, the new birth, gets us in the family of God. First birth brought us in the family of Adam. The, the second birth, the new birth, gets us into the family of the Lord Jesus Christ. So God told the nation of Israel, get you a lamb. Put that lamb up, then kill that lamb. Get you a piece of hyssop, which was like a big old stalk. Dip it in that blood and smear it on the door lintels of the house. And when death begins to pass through the land of Egypt and death comes upon a house where the blood's been applied, death will pass over. That everybody on the inside will be safe because the blood of the lamb... And that night when Israel come out of the land of Egypt, God said, from here on out, we're going to remember this night. I mean, from here on out, we're just going to make this a national holiday. It's going to be a day forever. And to this very day, they still celebrate the Passover when God brought them out of the land of Egypt, the Passover. Now, really, the Passover is all about one thing. It's about the lamb. It's about the lamb. Now, you know, it had to be, it had to, number one, it had to be a, it had to be a special lamb. I read back in the book of Exodus where they had to get a lamb. They had to pin it up. They had to put it up for three days.
During that three-day period, they were to examine that lamb because that lamb was a picture of the Lord Jesus, and it had to be without spot, and it had to be without blemish. So when they put that lamb up, they pinned him up for three days, they examined him, they watched him. If he had a limp, they couldn't use that lamb. If he had one ear that stood up and the other ear stood down, they couldn't use that. It had to be a perfect lamb because it was a picture of Jesus. By the way, he's perfect. It had to be a special lamb. After three days, the special lamb become a slain lamb because they had to kill it on the third day. They killed the lamb because the, the special lamb that became a slain lamb was a saving lamb because when they killed it, they put the blood of that lamb in a basin. Then they took that big old stalk and they, as it were, painted the blood over the door of that home. And then you know the story how they had to eat the lamb because the slain lamb that was a special lamb that become a saving lamb had to be a shared lamb. Now, it wasn't. You never read about the, the family being too big for the lamb. You always read about the lamb being too big for the family. And God said, hey, if the lamb is too big for the family, invite others over to eat the lamb with you. Because we know this, the special lamb that became a slain lamb, that was the saving lamb, needs to be a shared lamb. We need to invite others over. Hey, come over here. Have some lamb with us. And here's the thing about it. It was a sustaining lamb. And have you ever thought about this? Everybody that came out of the land of Egypt that night had the lamb in them. Well, maybe that didn't bless you like it blessed me, but I never thought about that before. Everybody that came out of Egypt that night had partaken of the lamb. And can I tell you, everybody one day is going to walk through the pearly gates down the streets of gold. It's going to have to have the lamb on the inside. Now you say, preacher, thank you for telling us all that, but what's all that got to do with us? Look at this verse right here. Purge out therefore the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you, as you are unleavened. Just set that aside. Look at this last phrase. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. Can I tell you something? What that lamb meant to the land, the children of God, in the land of Egypt, the Lord Jesus, is our Passover. He means to us. And buddy, when you and I get saved, the blood is applied. And one day death is going to pass over and the judgment of God is going to come. But because the blood has been applied, we're going to be saved. If you don't believe that, read this verse right here. Much more then being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through the Baptist. I'm sorry, excuse me, through the, through the Methodist. You ain't got a chance. It's through him. He is our Passover. So there's a good word to tuck away, a P word. What about the word Passover? But next we move to another big event in our Bible that begins with the letter P, and that's this, the word Pentecost. You say, preacher, what's a Pentecost? Well, the word itself, by the way, the word itself occurs three times in our Bible, all in the New Testament. 
uh, twice in the book of Acts and once in the book of 1 Corinthians. And the word Pentecost simply means this. It means 50. You say, preacher, big deal. What's that got to do with us? 50. Well, what we got to remember is this. After Jesus died, when he was on the cross, he died. They took his body down off the cross and they placed him in the tomb for three days. Now, let me tell you something. His body was dead, but his spirit was very much alive in, in that three-day period. Jesus' body may have been inside of that grave, but Jesus was very much active during that three-day period because we read that during that three-day period, Jesus, when he died, Jesus went into the lower parts of the earth. You remember that? Now, we remember uh, from our Bible that in those days prior to the resurrection that, that there was a paradise side and a torment side of, guess, I guess, of what we could call hell. There was one side, Abraham's bosom, and all those Old Testament saints that had died looking forward to Calvary. They were there. They were comforted. They were, they were, they were together, but death had them bound. Now, on the other side were all of those people who died without receiving Jesus or putting their faith in what was to come. Well, we know that when Jesus died during that three-day period that he went down. And to all those Old Testament saints, he preached to them, the Bible said. And he said, I am the one that's been promised to come to deliver you from the bondage of death. And Jesus, the Bible said, when he rose again the third day, he led all those people that were held captive. He led them, uh, he, he led them, he emptied out that side. And now when you and I die to be absent from the body, we're not going to a hole in the ground. We're to be present with the Lord forever and ever. But I think he also went over to hell side. And all those demons and devils and, and the folks that were over there, Jesus proclaimed himself to be the one who was victorious. He proclaimed himself the one who had the keys of death and hell. And he, pro he proclaimed the message of the gospel to that crowd. I am he that was dead and behold, I'm alive and alive forevermore. And then three days later, he ascended from the grave. Now, 40 days after that, he stayed on the earth. Forty days he stayed on this earth. And the Bible said he went around and he was showing himself that he was alive by many infallible proofs. He was, he was saying, hey, let's eat. And he would eat broiled fish and honeycomb. He would say to people, hey, put your hand into my side. Thrust your hand into my the, the nail prints. Hey, it's I. Uh, be, not, be not unbelieving. Be not faithless, but believing. Come here, touch me. He proved himself to be alive. Too many people, 500 saw him at one time, eyewitnesses of his resurrection. I remind you to this very day, the greatest evidence of any court, in any court of law is an eyewitness evidence. We got, the, we got one occasion in our Bible where 500 seen him at one time. I've been to a lot of, I've got, I've had, this will be my third funeral tomorrow. I want to just report to you, and I'm going to go out of a limb and say this tomorrow. I've not been to a funeral this week where the dead one got up and walked away. But bless your heart, I tell you, 500 people said we saw the one who died and he lives and he's walking. <laughs> I believe that, friend. He's alive. And then on the 40th day after his resurrection, he went back to heaven. He told those disciples from that Mount of Olives as he rose up, go back to Jerusalem. Wait until you be endued with power from on high. I'm going to wrap this up. Oh, my goodness. And so they went back and they stayed there in that upper room and they were praying. And then on the 50th day after the resurrection, the 50th day after the resurrection, the Bible said something happened. The Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. 
in great power. And the Bible said that he, he not only came upon those individuals, but he came inside those individuals and he gave them power and they moved out of that upper room where they were weaklings and they become witnesses. They moved out of that upper room where they were, where they were cowards and they became Christians. They moved out of that upper room. They went down into those streets and with the power of God they began to preach and 3,000 people got saved on the day of Pentecost. And from that day to this day, the Holy Spirit is in this world living in believers to give us power to tell others about Jesus. Pentecost. I could say a lot more about that, but I really saved my favorite one to last. So Passover, that's an important time. Pentecost, that's a great day. Oh, my goodness. Things changed on the day of Pentecost. Can I tell you this? We believe in the Trinity, don't we? How many of y'all believe in the Trinity? We believe 1 John 5, 7 teaches us there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. Now, we don't worship three gods. We worship one God. Manifest in three ways. Now, that's true of me. I'm one person, but I manifest in three different ways. I'm one person, but guess what? You're looking at me. Guess what I am? I'm a son. Just one person, but I'm a son to my parents. I'm a husband to my wife. Don't ask her how good. I'm a daddy to my children. I'm a grandpa to my grandkids. I'm a, I'm a papa to my chickens. Man, I manifest five ways. I'm just one person. God is one God manifest in three ways. In the Old Testament, basically the Old Testament's about God the Father. In the four Gospels, the four Gospels are basically about God the Son. But beginning in Acts chapter 2, going to this present day, it's about God the Holy Spirit, the day of Pentecost. And my favorite one is this, Purim. You say, Purim? What in the world is Purim? I'm glad you asked. The word appears six times in the Bible, all in the book of Esther. Now, let me tell you something. By the way, it's a feast. Pentecost is a feast. Passover is a feast. Purim is a feast. You know why I like Purim so good? Because it's kind of close to our Christmas. Not, not in date, but how it's celebrated. It kind of reminds me a lot of Christmas. Let me tell you about it. In the book of Esther, it's an unusual book for two reasons. Number one, it's one of only two books in our Bible that's named after a woman. Now, it wasn't written by a woman, but it was named after a woman. The other one being the book of Ruth. But uh, what makes it so unusual to me is it's the only book in our Bible that don't mention God, not one time. Now, we think normally the Bible is a book about God, right? But here's a book in our Bible that doesn't even mention God in 10 chapters, 167 verses, and God's name's not mentioned not one time in the entire book of Esther. But you'd be hard-pressed to find another book in our Bible that proves the existence and the power of God more so in the book of Esther. And you know the story. Remember the story? An old wicked boy by the name of Joe Biden, I mean Hammond. I'm sorry, Hammond. Hammond decided he was going to kill all the Jews. He really got ticked off at Mordecai. And really, I know the book, of the, the book is named Esther, but really it's more of a book about Mordecai the Savior. And he got mad at Mordecai because every time he rode in, Mordecai wouldn't stand up and bow to him. And so he decided he was going to kill all of Mordecai's people. Well, you know the story how that uh, the king 
had divorced his wife, Vashti, he divorced her. And the reason he divorced her is because she wouldn't come in there and show off her womanly charms in front of all of his drunk buddies. I praise God for Vashti's in this world. They won't get up and parade themselves in the front of a lot of bloodshot, drunken eyes. She wouldn't do it. So he put her away, man. He got him another woman, and unbeknownst to him, he married the niece of Mordecai. Mordecai had saved her. Her parents had died. He took her in and made her a part of his family. But not only did Mordecai save Esther, he saved the king because there was two old boys that got together and they formed an assassination plot to assassinate the king. And Mordecai found out about it, told the king about it, and buddy, he saved the life. He's just constantly saving people. Aren't you glad we got a savior that's just constantly saving people? And most of the time, they're not even aware of the salvation that he's provided for them. Hammond said, we're going to kill those people. The king didn't realize what was going on. He's been blinded by the Hammond of this world. And so he didn't even realize what's going on, so he went along with it for a while. But then eventually Esther goes in and pleads for her people. Hammond's devious plot is found out. And when the story is over, the gallows that were built by Hammond to hang Mordecai on are the very gallows that Hammond was hanged on. It's just another one of those stories of how God miraculously preserves his people. It's another one of those stories about how the devil desires to exterminate the people of God because he was trying to stop that seed. In Genesis 3.15, the promise of that seed that was going to come in the world and crush his head, he tried to exterminate those people who were going to produce that seed. He's always tried to do that. He's always tried to destroy the nation of Israel. But you can't destroy what God said cannot be destroyed. And so the story is, Hammond was put to death on those gallows. And God said, I want us to remember this, how I stepped in and miraculously preserved you. Don't ever forget it. And to this very day, there is a feast in the nation of Israel called the Feast of Purim. And what they do, and by the way, this past year, I wrote it down. This past year, it was celebrated on, on February 25th, and it started at sunset. And it went all the way to February 26th till sunset. And they just get together, the Jews get together, and they read the book of Esther, just like we read the Christmas story. And every time they come across the name of Haman, while they're reading the story, when they come across the name of Haman, they hiss, hiss, hiss. They stomp their feet. And then they say this, let his name be blotted out forever. That's, that's Purim. By the way, let's, let's try that. Remember, hiss, hiss. Let his name be blotted out forever. Okay? Ready? I'm going to say his name. You hiss, hiss. Stomp, stomp. Let his name be blotted out forever. Ready? Joe Biden. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. So sorry about that. Slipped right out. I'm put it back in. Oh, it does taste bad going back down. Ready? Hammond. No. No. Y'all ain't getting this. All right. I'll say Hammond. You hiss, hiss. Let his name be blotted out forever. All right? One, two, three. Hammond. It's better. That's good. Good. Hammond. All right, come on now. All right, Hammond. Y'all are slow. Y'all did good. So every time they run across the name of Hammond in the book of... Now, now you're getting on my nerves now. 
Now you're getting on my nerves with it. Don't be a smart aleck. And then they do this. They read through the book of Esther. They do what I just said. And then they all get together and they have a big meal and they exchange gifts. Kind of sounds like our Christmas, don't it? And it's called the Feast of Purim. So there you've got three great events in our Bible, all of which begin with the letter P, Passover, Pentecost, and Purim. If you, don't, if you haven't read the book of Esther in a while and you want to know God's work at work, read the book of Esther. God doesn't have to be seen to be at work. Amen. He's that kind of a God. Say it with me. Passover. Okay, let's try one more time. Ready? Number one. Number two. Number three. Hammond. <laughs> oh, man. No, no. Y'all ain't getting this at all. Let's pray. Father, thank you.